You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. I am Matthew Baker, and I perform a comedy stunt show at the Moisture Festival. And I'm Louie Fox, and I perform a comedy magic show and hand shadow puppets at the Moisture Festival. If you're new to this program and don't know exactly what the Moisture Festival is, the Moisture Festival is a four-week festival celebrating the variety arts, and it happens in the city of Seattle. They've got the new venue, which is the Broadway Performance Hall. Now, this is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this during the festival or around festival time, be sure to get tickets now because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all of the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. On today's Moisture Festival podcast, we have the official videographer of the Moisture Festival, Mr. Alan Plotkin. We learn from his early days using old-timey recording devices to catch video, as well as how he's progressed to newer um methods of recording the amazing acts at the moisture Festival. he just released the moisture festival documentary which we talk at length about and we talk about some of the other films that he's done throughout his career and what led him to sort of get into this weird wacky world of vaudeville we also learn what it's like refereeing at community league sports <laughs> yeah a really cool interview and you're gonna love it let's get to it Today's guest is the official videographer for the Moisture Festival. He has produced documentaries for the Flying Karamazov Brothers, Bindlestiff Family Circus, and the world's greatest juggler, Anthony Gatto. He also just produced a film about the Moisture Festival called Moisture Festival The Movie. We welcome in Alan Plotkin. Yeah. Hey, hey, nice to see you guys. Yeah, thank you uh, for joining us. You know, we had some rescheduling on my part, so I appreciate your uh, flexibility. As you know, I'm old and I'm like, you know, I'm hanging out here in the office a lot. So it's like, okay, you guys like interrupted my golf game a little bit. Oh, we're sorry. (laughs) You're you're on the third hole right now. Someone who's behind the camera all the time. Uh, Is this is this weird to be talking like? Oh yeah, I hate this. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. This is really hard. You know, I've done a lot of interviews, uh, but yeah, I've always found it intimidating. And you know, I did plays too. You know, I was on the stage. um, You know, like when I was in high school, I did class plays and. actually scared the crap out of myself doing that. I I took on a big one like my senior year. It was like, uh, you know, the senior play. I got the lead part. It was a two-hour play. I was on stage the whole time. I just had a ton of dialogue, and it was was intimidating. But uh, I did it. I had two performances to get through, and then the first performance uh, in front of the school, I had a freeze. Um, and I think everyone on stage has had a freeze at one point. You guys oh, yeah. tell me you've had freezes oh, yeah. before on stage. So you don't know whether it's five seconds or a minute that you froze up, you know, because ah. time and space no longer have any meaning at that point. But somehow, you know, I got through it. You know, I got a line out and then we got back on track and we got through the play. No problem after that. But I had to do it for the public the next day, and it's like, oh, it's so anxiety-ridden that <laughs> night. But I got through it fine. At the end of the play, I took my playbook, I flung it across the stage. I said, "Goodbye, acting. That was fun. Let's <laughs> let's not do that anymore. Not for not for me anymore." How did you get into video then? All right. Well, you know that all started in college, um, and actually, I went to school to play basketball. Um, this was 1970. 
um, and it was University of Hartford, and I was a walk-on in the freshman team. I had myself a little basketball career for a couple of years, but um, by the time I played the freshman team, I played on the JV team, and then I went out to the team the next year. I'd gotten to know the coach really well. He says, I just got all this new video equipment. Uh, how would you like to do the game films for us? You know, I have a job. I said, okay, I guess I take, I take it you're not going to put me on the team this year. So, yeah. <laughs> That's the nice way of him telling you. That uh -huh, like yeah, so my career kind of turned on a dime at that point in college. I'd been I'd been studying video and, and film, film and TV anyway. So uh, that's how he knew I could do it. I had already been, I was shooting for the yearbook and shooting for the newspaper and kind of, you know, I, I, I figured out, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got to college, but I fell in love with this stuff. And actually my roommate, my roommate was developing, you know, black and white pictures uh, in, in the dorm room. And I got to see that. And to me, that was magic. Yeah, it's I pretty fell cool. in love with it instantly. I had to go out and get my own 35 millimeter camera, all the darkroom equipment. And so I was taking pictures of the stuff I knew, you know, the basketball team, and I was, you know, selling them to him. So he said, you know, are you doing video too? And, you know, I was, I was studying production. So yeah, I had a great part-time job in college and basically that just moved me into my, my career of, of video production. And I got to shoot, you know, soccer, football, basketball, wrestling, you know, all kinds of sports. Um, and, you know, had a blast because I was a gym rat anyway. Yeah. So even after I didn't make the team, I still won the intramural basketball for the next two years because I had all the cast offs that, you know, weren't playing anymore on my team. <laughs> so we could still beat the crap out of everyone. So, That's yeah. Amazing. So, so, so th that got me into film and TV. Now it's 1974. I graduate. Yeah, I really want to do it bad. The economy is like the worst ever. You know, <laughs> the Arab embargo had just happened. There were no jobs. It was it was horrible. You think it's it's bad now. There was just nothing um, before, of course, the Internet and everything. So I sent out um, 100 resumes to 100 TV stations because um, that's basically, you know, that's what you did back then. Yeah, uh, I got one response back and that was uh, for an internship at a little station in Springfield, Massachusetts. And unfortunately, I didn't take it. I just couldn't work for nothing. I had $10,000 in debt to pay back. So I had to find something else. And uh, I got a little job with Amherst High School, um, basically running their own in-house TV station, which was really fun. That, it was all black and white, reel to reel back then. This was like in 75 to edit in the black and white reel to reel world. You actually back time the tapes manually, you know, hit your stopwatch and then hit record. You were very much a part of the process. Um, so it was, yeah, it, it took, it was different kind of skills. Were you teaching but, kids at the high school to do that? Or you were just running the, the TV station? Well, I, it was both. I was running the TV station and I had a little course. I said, look, you guys, I know TV production. I can, you know, I'll volunteer and take some students and we'll yeah. do a show. Uh, we did a public access show, actually, <laughs> in 78. Awesome. That was my first. I have several iterations of public access shows that I did over the years. Um, but that was the first one. What so were the shows? Yeah, what were the shows? Um, this first one was just a new show, um, you know, and it was, you know, mm -hmm. it was 78. So basically, yeah, we just did a couple of new shows. The second one um, was, I'll get into that later on in my career, but that was at Deanza College in 85 when I actually went back to retrain for video production. And uh, that one was called Cupertino Sports Speed. And I oh, actually cool. won the uh, National Public Access Award for sports programming that year with that show. And the show that I submitted was the uh, the San Jose Juggling Convention, 1986. Oh. And that's what basically won it. And I don't know if you guys know anything about that convention. Um, it, was, oh. it was a pretty famous juggling convention. Gatto was there. Uh. It, was, it was Gatto's big comeback. He was uh, 12, I think. Um, <laughs> And yeah, he had been through his he first one twice when he was then. eight. Yeah, his dad basically broke him out when he was eight years old. And, you know, I don't know if you know a story. Um, you know, he went into circuses around the world after that, you know, that performance in San Jose. So, you know, that started his career. And his dad didn't bring him back to the IGA until 86. 
and he came back and broke all the records, you know, for balls, you know, whatever, yeah, juggling balls, you know, rings. And... Yeah. Yeah. Is so how... if you're listening to this and not a juggler, Google Anthony Gatto. Yeah. And watch some videos. So, yeah, he's he's known as the best juggler ever. It's still debatable, but, you know, he's still, even though he's been retired for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, his name is still in the conversation of, of the best juggler ever. Yeah. So that whole experience really got me into the filming festival world, um, which I have filmed 100 festivals now. Wow. Um, now, real quick, yeah. I want to backtrack just a little bit. Were you already into like variety arts or how did you end up? Yeah. Okay. How'd you get into that? Well, um, somebody taught me how to juggle back, I would say 75. My cousin taught me how to juggle and uh, we juggled together a lot. I didn't go to any conventions or anything, but um, I loved the variety acts, arts. You know, we would go see street performing in Boston. I grew up in mm. Western Massachusetts, um, which of course is the home of Penn and Teller. Uh, Michael Motion. I grew up right next to those guys. Um, didn't know them. You know, I grew up in Orange. They grew up in Greenfield, two small towns in Western Massachusetts. But um, yeah, it turns out it was a hotbed of, of great performers and me. <laughs> the guy who films those great performers so, but you learned to juggle and then and then you sort of sought out performances like a fan they kind of they came or... together you know yeah. they came together when i when i went to deanza college but i did i had a few experiences in between there though as a as a volunteer um because i started going to juggling and variety shows and twice I got called up as the volunteer. And that, you know, you that freeze? really, that was inspiring. What's that? Did you freeze? <laughs> in those moments? Yeah. So no, okay, I'm gonna tell you about these because yeah. these are good stories. The first one um, was in 78 and the name of the show was Firefly. It was Motion, Berkey and Garbo. Uh, um, I'm, I take it you're familiar with those guys? I Yes. I, I, I Because they're all three- Fred Garbo? Characters. Yes. Yeah, Fred Garbo. Exactly. Michael, Michael Motion, yeah. Bob Berkey. Um, so this was 78 and this was one of the first juggling shows. Um, so, and they had a New York show, an off-Broadway show. So I went down to see it. You know, I'd been juggling a couple of years, so I was interested in that kind of show. So they pulled me up on stage. It was Bob, Bob Berkey, you know, who pulls me up, you know, it's like, why do you pull up a guy? You know, I'm sure I was really engaged. I'm sure it's just like, you know, all in leaning forward, oh, yeah, yeah. like, you know, wonders. And you guys pull up volunteers, right? Yep. So yeah. There's a whole science to pulling up volunteers. And so I'm wondering, well, how did I fit into that, you know, that mold? And it's like, okay, well, I must have, you know, there must have looked. And I'm tall. So the act yeah. he had to do was an apple eating routine. Obviously, he needed a tall guy because I sat in the chair and he stood above me. And my only job was to bite the apple as he came by. Oh, you know, cool. of course, it was quicker and quicker. And I'm already thinking, okay, what do I do to be a good volunteer? I already kind of understand the whole stage thing, what's going on. It's like, do I ham it up? You know, what do I do? And I innately thought, I just do what he tells me to do. You know, just do it to the, my best ability and let him find the funny. You know, yeah. and you know, because that that's his job. It's like, because, you know, as a volunteer, you have anxiety. Now I got to be funny. Yeah. yeah. You know, what do I do? You know, how am I going to not look like a fool? You know, so it's like, OK, you know, just do what he tells you to do. And, you know, it worked out great. He found right. the funny, you know, and even though, you know, you're always worried about that. And and that was it was a great experience, you know, watching those guys that are all pretty famous jugglers. Yeah. So we move up to like turn of the century i went to ringling brothers when they had their circus that was kind of Cirque du Soleil. they did it for a couple of years it was a one ring circus i can't remember the name of it but they toured for about two years with this one ring circus and uh, david larible was the clown um and he basically kind of was the ringmaster and I don't, are you guys familiar with him because no no oh my god well google him um <laughs> L-A-R-I-B-L-E, because he's probably one of the more famous clowns in the world. It's a, it's a European traditional clown family, and his whole family was, is in the show, to tell the truth. So he calls me up. I'm like, I got ringside seats, and same thing. He pulls me up. But this was a juggling act he pulled me up for. And now this is like, you know, 20 years later, and I'm a decent juggler. Not yeah. great, but I'm decent. I can do some stuff. So he pulls me up to do his pretty famous plate passing routine. Um, he puts me on a chair. 
um, in the middle of the ring with a spotlight, and it's a do as I do routine. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, you know, starts with one plate, you know, and he passes one plate to the other hand and passes it back, and it's like, okay, I did that, no problem. Pass, pass, and he's there. Oh, you know, that's great. And then he gets into more complicated things. Then he gets into a flips the plate, catches it on his elbow, drop down into a catch. Okay, so I'd already done a whole bunch of things when I got to this, and I knew this was going to be tough, you know. I thought I could do it, you know, and I took a nice pregnant pause and uh, thought about it, and I said, okay, flip the plate, caught it on my elbow. Do I even want to go further? They're already loving this. So it's like, okay, let it drop, grabbed it, and then just lost it. And of course, it was a breakaway play, which I didn't know. So it smashed into a million people. Oh, that's a million pieces. And the crowd went crazy. It was a great moment. And David was just like, you know, he was he was great. He, you know, found all the funny in that yeah. moment. And it was had, terrific. Did he know that you were had? No, some oh, no. Okay. But later on, there's more to the act. And he did end up asking me during the act, you know, mouthing. Because the next thing we did was he grabbed like two, two or three more people and had them came down. And so the four of us were around the ring and he was passing plates to us. And again, it was a do as I do. First one was I had to catch it left-handed and throw it back left-handed. And he mouths to me, are you lefty? And I said, no. <laughs> so you know i didn't give it away at that point that i putting it together that you know, yeah. i was a juggler but uh but then the next day he did a shoulder throw um which i nailed you know behind the back yeah. you know all the way to him you know so it's like i didn't miss everything i did whereas the old lady who came down was his grandmother. She was the plant. Nobody knew that. She was doing all kinds of hilarious stuff with her shoe and, and missing and screwing up. And, you know, she was hilarious. After the show, I went to get an autograph. People thought I was the plant. And they were asking me for autographs. And I kept saying, no, she's the plant, not me. <laughs> so yeah that was like being a juggler getting to juggle with with Larry Blay that was like one of the great moments in my life that's amazing you know, about it and I'd already been shooting variety for I don't know 13 14 years at that point yeah. so you know I knew him I even knew about his routine so yeah that was a, a very cool moment for me yeah your name so, is sort of synonymous with you know variety filming like you know a lot of the great even documentaries and, and videos that I had growing up were made by you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's nice to hear. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's kind of cool that you've been, you've sort of documented these things throughout, you know, your career. I feel like I've captured a snapshot of this generation from 86, you know, yeah. present of, of performers. Um, you know, with like over a hundred festivals from the juggling world, variety. Um, I've done unicycling, yo-yoing, clowning, British Juggling Fest, the European, the IJA, of course, the Austin Juggling Fest, you know, which yeah. is right here. I get to do that every year. Edmonton really Street nice. Fest. Edmonton Street Fest. Yeah, that's really where I've gotten to meet, you know, all the great street performers. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I'm lucky because I, I get to meet the cream of the crop. When yeah. I do these highly curated festivals, these are the best performers in the world at their craft. Yeah, you know, that I that I get to see and work with. So I'm totally jaded. You know, <laughs> it's like I can't go out to the street and just watch. You know, the normal guy. Well, yeah, you watch him. The best of the best for you know, years. I worked with the guys who you're going to see on America's Got Talent, yeah. you know, at Cirque du Soleil. You know, they've got Vegas acts. You know. Yeah like you know i'm so spoiled but yeah so that's how i came to love this whole thing i work with all these great performers i am kind of a performer i actually i did some juggling performances for my kids when they were in, in school um for variety i taught my daughter how and she got through her her variety shows in school with juggling that's amazing so, so yeah I, I i got that into the family so a did bit. you ever pinpoint why you constantly get picked in audiences <laughs> Um, no, <laughs> I think it's because you look you like you're having a good me. time. I think yeah. it's me. that's it because you know, don't you look over your audience like before you sneak out and, and, and see what you got out there and get your most likely suspect. A lot of people do. I, I do not do that. But, I like rolling the dice. Yeah. 
uh-huh. but a lot of people do like you know they'll go out you know look peek between the curtains and like pick out they need a woman in this age range or a guy who's tall you know they have specific things that they need yeah uh, i used so- to do a bit where i needed someone who was wearing a watch so i would seek that out or i'd ask like an usher to be like hey is there something they're like yeah there's a guy in a blue coat but that's the extent was like functional i need a videographer who can kind of juggle and is super tall (laughs) exactly (laughs) i think i just looked engaged you know i think i'm just like i'm leaning in i've got a happy face i'm just like you know i'm not saying pick me but I'm sure not saying don't pick me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, I, I think I just look accessible. <laughs> yeah. I was looking uh, at your resume, and you did a video of one of my favorite shows. You did the uh, Esther's Follies video. Yes. Oh my God, have you been to that? Oh yeah. Been- well, can you guys uh, hold on? Can you explain what that is to for the listeners who don't know? Yeah, they've been a comedy troupe here in Austin. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm in the process of re-editing that video. Um, I'm going to bring it up to date because I haven't shot them in like 15 years. But I was embedded with them for a couple of years, and I got all their their archives. So it's Saturday Night Live musical sketch comedy theater with a house magician um and a live musical accompaniment um it is the truest form of variety i think in this country um and uh, this couple formed it you know back in the 70s uh shannon and michael and they're still running it they're still the stars of it oh, that's cool. um, and it's it's an amazing show yeah I highly recommend it. It is one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. And Ray it's the Magician topical, right? is super cool. Well, because Ray, Ray was telling me – so Ray Anderson's the magician in the show. Oh, so you know Ray? I know Ray, yeah. And he was telling me, like, they do the shows on the weekend. They take Monday off. Tuesday they're writing. Wednesday they're wow. editing the writing. Thursday they're rehearsing, and it's in the show Friday. Exactly. Exactly. So I got to live through that whole process and shoot, you know, the writers and they're constantly looking for new people. And it's so hard to fill the slots on that show. Wow. Um, but, how do you uh, in, in film? How do you sort of like tell that story of just like this enormous body of work over multiple years? And the, yeah, I mean, how do indeed. you do And that is the daunting task I have for all my films is breaking down, you know, thousands of hours of footage to only use the most pertinent parts that are going to advance the narrative that yeah. you know, that I've figured out that, you know, this is what they're trying to do. So, yeah, that's that's the whole process I go through. I had to go through that for Moisture Fest, um, which was, yeah, it, it was daunting. And I knew I was going to insult a lot of people. Um, <laughs> you know, really? Did you insult some people? Yes. I had a few people who were like, you didn't put me in it. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, okay, I think I represented a hundred acts out of probably over a thousand that I had to yeah. choose from. Um, and like I said, the same thing, I just looking at footage and since I shot most of it, I still had a lot of it in my head mm-hmm. and I knew what my favorite things were. So I was trying to figure out ways to put that all together. While you're recording the show, once you had the idea to make this documentary of the Moisture Festival, do you make mental notes? You're like, that was amazing. Now I got to remember it's night four at the 23 minute mark of the show. No, I don't have to remember it. It's like it's locked in. I do. I, no, I, I don't even log it really that much. Um, I just my only log is, you know, who's on the show. Mm. You know, I have the, the cast of the show, basically. And from that, I can pretty much remember, you know, what they did that I liked so much. Yeah. So, yeah, because I, I mean, once I shoot it, I take it home. I look at it all again and I edit it. And then I've really pretty much got it in my head. Yeah. So, um, you know, I can go back and, you know, and look at things. And it's on the computer. It's so much easier to do that. Oh, I bet. You know, I went through the whole revolution of this genre. You know, like I said, I started when it was real to real. And I have a I have a whole museum in my house of cameras, but I never throw stuff away. You know, so, um, you know, went to three quarter inch, you know, super VHS, um, beta, beta cam, all of it and the, the, the digital formats. 
And then, you know, when it finally got to true digital non-tape, it was like the happiest moment of my life. You know, <laughs> not, you know not to have to deal with tape anymore. Did just... you have to convert all your VHS, like all your Well, tape yeah, I'm still in that process yeah. of converting everything because I've got a ton of stuff. So I tend to do it per project as I go along. But when I made, like, uh, 1998 is when I turned over to digital, right in that area. And I was making the Flying Karamazov back then. And I had, my first hard drive was uh, 40 gig. It was $1,000 <laughs> for that 40 gig. Um, and so like a I, little thing here. Yeah, now. that's nothing. It, no, it was big though. It was, <laughs> that was a big honking hard drive. But, you know, and I couldn't keep stuff on it. So I had to, you know, I, I would like record a little bit and then I would have to dump it off, take it off, you know, record some more, you know, it's almost like going, you know, taking a piece of tape and doing it, you know, one at a time. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately I, I couldn't digitize their whole collection back then. Whereas now everything I digitize is for life. You know, when I, when I shoot a convention, when I shoot everything, you know, I don't erase hard drives anymore. I had like 50 of them in my, you know, drawer for yeah. like, for like every festival that I do. So when I want to go back and do a project, you know, there they are. They're yeah. All sitting there and, and all the new stuff is already digitized. So now with, with the film, the Moisture Festival, what what's the sort of story that you try and tell? Is, it, is What's the narrative or are you trying to just highlight the acts or are you trying to sort of like tell the storyline of how it became what it is or? Exactly. What I did first to try and tell the story was I created a history show. Um, and we put that on stage because I thought, you know, what, what better way for performers to tell a story than to go on stage and tell it to their audience? Mm. You know, to be animated, they're, they've got a microphone, it's like whatever, they can interact with each other. You know, let's take, you know, a couple hours and, and tell the story to the audience. So we did. And we had like, you know, groups of six or seven and we had everybody. We probably had 30 people come on mm. um, that night to tell the story. And after I had that in hand, I said, all right, I've got it. I know, yeah. I've, I know I've got a story here now. They have just laid it all out for me. <laughs> now I have to go back and, you know, do some more interviews and, you know, get them to be a little more intimate in different settings, just so it looks interesting. And then it's just a matter of, of, of finding pieces, you know, of all these acts that one, I liked and that I thought were, you know, were really fun and, and you know, would hold the audience's attention yeah. and, and be able to fit all that in. And I wanted it to be performance driven. I didn't want it to just be, even though I had this two and a half hours of great conversation, I knew I had to just pick out little bits yeah. there to, to tell the whole story and fill that in with, with you know performance because to me that's what it's really all about is mm. the performance um you really want to see what all these amazing people have been doing over the past you know 20 years or so so i think i was successful at that um i've gotten it into five film festivals so far that's cool do, do you is that something you have to submit you yeah submit? I, I have to submit it um uh. but now that I've gotten it into a few film festivals, they're finding me. I know I put up an oh, Instagram nice. site, um, which tells exactly what festivals I get into. So they're always trolling, and they're you know they're offering me discounts now to apply for their festivals. Mm -hmm. And you know what are you working on next? So I'm oh, building cool. a relationship. So I thought, okay, you know all those videos that you mentioned that I did 20 years ago. I'm going to redo them all now because the whole film festival world has changed. That stuff didn't exist, you know, back then. Yeah. You know, now it's, there's so many, there's thousands and thousands of film festivals. They're all looking for decent work and you never know once it gets on and somebody sees it, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's easier even to get into the streaming world. You know, there's this company called Film Hub where if they accept your video, they negotiate out with all the streaming companies. Oh, nice. That's what I'm, you know, I'm trying to get Moisture Fest into that next. Yeah. That? So is that something? So essentially the process is you make the you make the work, you submit it, you hope that somebody sees it and yeah. then and then, you know, buys it either buys, pays you to remake it or buys it outright. And then they per, sort of send it out to where people yeah. can watch it 
in film festivals, there's no money involved. Gotcha. I mean, it's just, you know, getting it in there, getting it seen, hopefully winning some awards, getting the laurels, getting some accreditation, getting it on an IMDb site, mm -hmm. you know, just that's building up your whole credit factor, basically. Gotcha. Festivals is. But if you get it in the film hub and get it streaming, then yes, that makes money. So Good. that's yeah, for unknowns, that's going to be pay-per-view stuff. Um, yeah. Known, they'll buy it from you outright, you know, but, but yeah, those avenues didn't used to exist. Yeah, you know, totally. There's Hollies and Gatto and, uh, you know, the, the Flying Karamats off scrapbook and all that stuff. So I'm going to update them all and, uh, and bring them back and put them into festivals because now I know I can get them into festivals. You know, I've got a little experience and I, I know which ones would, that I know will like yeah. them. So I'm going to spend the next year or so, you know, re-editing all these old videos. And then I still have my opus that I have to do, you know, my my statement on this whole genre that I've been working on for 35 yeah. years. And, um, and do you, is that in the works? It's in my head. Um, <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> I guess that's in the works. Um, the tentative title is When Vaudeville Died. Um, and it's about that whole transition that happened between, you know, the 1930s when vaudeville died and the 1970s when street performing really took over and, uh, you know, really came back. All those variety performers for 40 years had nowhere to perform. You yeah. know, cut right off when the movies came, you know, all the venues switched over to the movies. You know, there was, you know, vaudeville just... Well, yeah, it is kind of ironic that the thing that put vaudeville out of business is a thing that you you were <laughs> highlighting variety entertainers. Exactly. And that's actually what brought it back anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Film killed it and film brought it back because yeah. Ed Sullivan brought it back um, 48 to 75, something like that. Um, he brought back variety and put it on, you know, the American stages and, uh, you know, people got to see all those yeah. circus acts and clown acts and Topo Gigio, puppet acts, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, that was all due to Ed. And, and yeah. then in the seventies, the hippies started hitting the streets, you know, yeah. and Teller, um, you know, uh, all kinds of people like that started in what, San Francisco, Pier 39, mm -hmm. Um, New York, New Orleans, um, what a Boulder Mall. Yeah. You know, and then those places started becoming curated. Mm -hmm. and, you, know, you had to be a certain level even to just get into those places. So uh, there's still issues with street performers and, you know, where they can perform on the streets. And I don't know, were you guys street performers? Did you ever? I've done a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I started out as one yeah. in Seattle. Same. There you go. So Pike's Place. Yep. Pike's yep. Place. Well, I did the waterfront and uh, Westlake Mall. <laughs> Westlake's so, a hard pitch. It was it was tough, but Pike Place is a little softer. Yeah. So, you know, I learned again, I didn't have to deal with all that hard stuff since I was in festivals. But, you know, I still see what a performer has to go through to put on an act. Yeah. Um, and I've really gotten to, to understand that. It is way more than just performing. Mm, I mean, yeah. that's like that's just a small part of it. You know, the the performer skills. It's it's crowd gathering. It's you know, it's volunteers. Yeah, it's, I mean that is such a it, street. Being a good street performer is such a different skill set than just being a good performer on a stage with a captive crowd. It's like and then there's the hat lines you yeah know? Mm -hmm. nothing until you learn how to separate people from their money exactly <laughs> it's all psychology you know you watch a good street performer you're like this is a this is a psychological master class yeah, well, yeah, and i've worked with the masters like checkerboard yeah. guy yeah and the master at marketing his act throughout yep. the whole act and you know getting people to basically you know give them his their children if he asks them <laughs> So that's that's the skill. It's all it's all personality and yeah. engagement. And you know, if you got a little skill and if you can work ten feet high, then you've really got something. Yeah. Like Alec Kazam. Right. There's you know, no Al, right? You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, probably he hasn't the been to the moisture guy fest out there now. He's that guy's probably a millionaire. We gotta bring that guy to the moisture fest. Yeah, I know it. I know I see him up at Edmonton a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's considered to be the the world's greatest street performer. And I got to work with the first, I think, world's great street performer, Butterfly Man. Oh, yeah. oh man. Yes, I'm sure. I'm, did you guys ever get to meet him? I met him once. Yeah, yeah, several times. Because he did yeah. a summer in Seattle at the at the Pike Place Market, and I don't think the Seattle vibes and his vibe mesh too well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could be right. But what a character! I yeah. shot him a few times, and he's the only guy who would like make reference to me during his act. He would throw things at me. He'd make jokes at my expense. Um. He really drew me in, you know, and it's like, no, performers don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he always did. He do you was... ever go through like old footage and like these, you know, these famous performers who have passed and just watch and be like, wow, I got to capture that moment. Yeah, yeah. I do. No I do. one else. No one else would ever see that. If you look at my YouTube page, you'll see a lot of that stuff. Um, as a matter of fact, that I've put up and there's one I've got like a couple hours of butterfly. Um, doing San Francisco Street Performer, doing Hawaiian Vaudeville. Um, I shot him at Edmonton. Um, just a real variety of the stuff that he does. So, yeah, if you ever want to find stuff like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I well, I have watched some Butterfly Man videos uh, on your page before. So, What is your YouTube page? Um, it's just my name. Just Google me. All right. Alan Plotkin, P-L-O-T-K-I-N, right? Right, yeah. Well, Louie had a question earlier about if there might be another Alan Plotkin is what I guess I'm trying to lead Louie to ask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's at least 10 more of us. Um, and there's a funny story about that. Um, before the Internet age, one of them called me and he was uh, researching all the Alan Plotkins he could find in the phone book. And he told me at that time he had found about 10 of us. Um, and, you know, it told me a little bit about each of us. And that was the end of it. That was like, did I drink that? that <laughs> he's, was... just a, he's a living historian of Alan Plotkin. <laughs> yes. but, but there is one, one who was on IMDb, okay. who was much famous than me. Um, he had a show that he produced. Uh, gosh, I can't remember it now, but it was a pretty famous show. Perfect Strangers. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> So yeah, that might be you. You worked on Perfect Strangers. I just joined IMDb, so I had to go in as Alan Plotkin number two. <laughs> <laughs> so you're yeah, the stand-in for the other Alan Plotkin. Yeah, I know. He beat me to it. But, well, hopefully uh, you'll get some of those Perfect Stranger residual checks by accident. I know it, darn. <laughs> Now, I'm still working on it. I know you guys are going to bring me up there to start on. Oh, boom. This is it. I've been waiting all these years. Somebody's got to make it really big. So you had mentioned to me in an email that you uh, like umpire sports. I do. I do. That is a really fun job that I do. You know, I've, I found a, a co-ed league here in Austin. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a social league. Um, and yeah, three nights a week, I referee and umpire. So I do softball, kickball, pickleball, cornhole, basketball, all kinds of sports. Cornhole? There's cornhole a needs a referee. referee. <laughs> just someone, those just need someone to keep score and ah, okay. be a PR guy and just have fun with them. Because those gotcha. are mostly at outdoor bars here in Austin, which oh. are big outdoor bars are all building pickleball and cornhole courts now and it's just become a huge thing so yeah. and, it, and uh, the organization that i work with um you know has really um gotten into it so and it's fun for me it's just it's just a fun job i do at night you know i've been into sports my whole life i'm too decrepit to play anymore mm -hmm. but at least i can do this i can be engaged with 20 somethings um you know i can still be involved in sports a little bit so yeah yeah, it's just a really fun part. Do you ever job. get like, I guess those are the parents who are playing. So you're not dealing with. Uh, no, then that's why I do it. Because I don't have to deal with the yeah. Parents, yeah. siblings, the fans, none yeah. of them. Um, they have a standard code. They can't argue, give us a hard time, nothing. Or they really? Are, you know, this is a social league. And that big S, you know, is first. It's like, you better come here, drink some beers and have some fun. Yeah. Ed social league you can be competitive but don't be over the top yeah do you, you tell get, people if they, if they get mad at you for making a bad call i'll be like i'm alan plotkin on imdb just leave me a bad, yes. <laughs> bad review. i was on perfect strangers i'm responsible <laughs> for balky 
<laughs> yes, exactly. It takes a lot for me to toss somebody, but yeah, I have to do it. Like once a season, you know, somebody will rip their shirt off and want to punch me out. Are you really? I'm 70. Come on, punch me out. I hope you're in a good car. <laughs> that cornhole went in the hole. <laughs> well, that's more softball and kickball, oh, gotcha. where they're even more competitive. Yeah. No, in cornhole, they're literally playing with a beer in their left hand. Yeah, and right. Right. And that's why I'm I'm pretty much doing those jobs from now on. I really, I really enjoy those kinds of sports. Whereas so, I basketball, um, and I've supervised that whole scene because I'm kind of like that's the sport I really yeah, know. That's what yeah. got me in. And I'm good at handling those people, so I don't mind. But true basketball is hard and people do argue on every call. Yeah. But, since I was a player, I can take that and I know how to handle it. So yeah. it's not too bad. So now, uh, Ad, you you have pretty much been to every vaudeville festival show gathering, you know, that there is. Where does the Moisture Festival, well, what differentiates I, the Moisture Festival from the other ones? Why, you know? Not quite. I mean, I really haven't been to every festival. You it know, seems Canada, like it. Canada has festivals like in every city. Yeah, street performing festivals. Yeah. Yeah, and there, the U.S. doesn't do so well with festivals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're all all over Europe and Germany and Japan and and whatnot. But um, no, I mean, I got you know, I got into Moisture Fest because of Tim first. Um, and I met Tim at the Hawaiian Vaudeville Festival, which is, you know, the most extraordinary festival ever. Um, that thing ran for 20 years. Um, we oh, it doesn't did, exist anymore. No, I mean, Belly Acres still exists. Uh -huh. We have a whole settlement for, basically, it's a retirement settlement for variety performers now. Um, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's like 10. Uh, Waldo lives there. Uh -huh. uh, Eric and Aileen. Um, I don't know if you know Aileen Wilkie. She's a British juggler. There's a bunch of others that have had, you know, whole, you know, variety, you know, street performing careers that have lived there for like 20 years now. Um, and we built a pavilion there. Um, so we have a school um, and there's there's a whole community of performers that are, you know, being raised there. Yeah. So, well, like uh, Brie Crabtree, who's been at the festivals out there right now doing rehab on her knee. I was so happy to see that she was there. I just saw her post that she was there and what a great spot to go rehab. I mean, it's it's on the ocean. There's nothing more beautiful there. Great bunch of people, you know, her kind of peeps. So yeah, I'm sure she's uh, loving it there. So yeah, I go every year. I've been going since like 1987. And um, you know, there's there's 30 of us that originally bought in to the, uh, the Hawaiian Bobble Company. We bought these 10 acres, you know, in 87, and we started having the festival there, and we named it Belly Acres. Um, everybody built little houses, then some people like uh, Hendrik Bota, you know Hendrik, yeah. right? He built a nice house there, and Charlie Brown, and uh, Graham Ellis was kind of the the grand Cuba of that whole thing. But we had 30, you know, pretty successful street performers from around the world who, who became members and bought in. And it, it was a magical place. That's and amazing. festivals, we would go out on lava walks, you know, because Kilauea uh, has been erupting right next door for the entire time. It started in, in the early- That's why you got so cheap. <laughs> so we go, you know, we go out in the middle of the night, do these incredibly, you know, dangerous things, you know, walking out on the lava and doing shows for ourselves at dawn, lighting torches on the lava, doing, you know, doing shows out there. It was just magical. It was yeah. just incredible. And that's what really got me super hooked on shooting festivals and thinking, this, this is so incredible. The rest of the world has got to see this. You know, at some point they've got yeah. to see. So for now, it's like the people who are in the festivals see it and they love this stuff. But at some point, I just know that the public would like this stuff too. A Moisture Fest is my first venture out into the public, really, with all these videos. Uh -huh. um, you know, and getting accepted into these film festivals tells me, yeah. People do like this stuff and there's an appetite for it. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to uh, see where this moisture festival documentary goes. 
And, uh, you know, I would love to see it on a streaming platform, give it more access to people uh, who don't live in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. where can they get more information about the uh, Moisture Festival, the movie? On my Instagram site. Um, I have an Instagram site called Moisture Festival, the movie. Um, so that would be it. That's where I post, you know, everything that's new, uh, you know, about Moisture Festival. And I think the uh, Moisture Fest website keeps up to date with it, too. Yeah. Um, so they can always get news from that because I tend to, you know, tell them everything that's going on and let them repost it. So and if people want to find videos from your your past work and the stuff that you are uh, updating, where can they see or buy that stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. I used to sell all my stuff at uh, Renegade Juggling, at say, Serious Juggling, um, Naranja over in Japan butter butter something what the heck were they or in england i had a half a dozen like juggling shops where i sold all these dvds for uh -huh. years and since it's been 20 years in between making them and making moisture fast i'm going to reissue everything and they yeah. will have it and um and i think it, it's going to be through film hub and through film festivals that they're going to be able to uh, to see all this stuff so um yeah i will uh, i'll keep the uh I'll keep Moisture Fest involved. I'll keep my website up to date, my Instagram sites, and and yeah, you'll be able to see. It's like, you know, every year Moisture Fest comes back. I can't wait for the next one. Every year, it's, it's so exciting to go up there for four weeks um, and just, you know, do a deep dive into the performing world. Um, I just love it. I'm sure you yeah. guys yet you know why i'm so addicted to it well we're lucky because we live in seattle or i i don't live there anymore but you know we live there part of the community and uh sometimes we take it for granted i think you know just that it's so accessible yeah it is it's a it's a world-class festival everyone wants to get in on it and it's so incredible because they don't get paid for it yeah you know? <laughs> so it's like how the heck how did tim pull this off yeah it is interesting you know because what I was trying to lead the question is like, what differentiates the Moisture Festival from other festivals? And obviously that the performers are doing it just for the love of the festival is one reason. And um, Exactly, because, you know, the Edmonton Street Fest, they make a lot of money up there. Yeah. That is a totally different vibe. The top performers, I don't know. I, I don't like to talk about money and yeah. they don't either, but I'm going to anyway. They probably make 15 grand up there in 10 days. Yeah. You that, that's pretty good you know one bucket at a time and that's a lot better than you're going to do at moisture fest but again i the, think no one's made that much in all of the moisture festivals <laughs> they, they were in every show the vibe is the same at both festivals whether you guys are making money or making no money it, they're both great camaraderie festivals yeah and that's, that's really the number one reason why people want to go to both of them Tell you the truth i mean they're so they're so different but yet they're so the same because you guys get to hang out with each other and y'all don't get to do that for most of the year right yeah gigs all over the place you live this horrible life where you're away from your families and your babies and uh then you get a festival where it's like ah hanging out with your peeps yeah for me um i have these festival families um moisture fest is you know my current festival family but Edmonton, you know, for, for 30 years. Um, the IJA, the same thing, 25 years. Um, these, you know, long-term festival families that I just can't wait to get back to every yeah. year, and, you know, shoot the current crop of stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, you know, you're 70 years old. What are you gonna do with all the all the all these all the tapes, all the video, everything? Are you gonna donate it to like the Library of Congress or? Yes, <laughs> and I am going to do that. And there are several places that I'm thinking about it. Um, Austin has a place where I can donate it, and they'll actually digitize it all too. Oh, nice! Um, but yeah, they have a whole program at the University of Texas where they'll take your archives um, and and they'll take care of them. That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one idea. Um, there's other stuff too. I know David Kane has a juggling museum, and yeah, maybe even Library of Congress. Who knows? I, yeah. I, I, my stuff is 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 suitable. You know, it's it's a pretty unique collection of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know of anyone else who really tried to 
dive into this genre like I have. I mean, at the very least, they can display that old hard drive. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's going to the Smithsonian, though. That one. <laughs> yep. Well, Alan, uh, we want to thank you for your time. Uh, people want to find out your website. Uh, what's your website? Well, my Instagram site is just under my name, Alan Plotkin, and the same with my YouTube site. I don't so, really yeah. have a website. YouTube is the... A Plotkin. Yeah, you're right. It is. Okay. I, so for some reason, I wrote down. Not my top thing. <laughs> you can tell. All right, Alan, we've met. thank you again uh, for joining us. It's been a treat watching your work. Uh, I mean, as an up-and-coming performer, being able to watch it and have access to some, you know, the Flying Karamazov brothers and that sort of stuff uh, really helped me. So uh, I appreciate the work that you've done and you continue to do. And uh, I'm looking forward to, I haven't seen the, this, uh, the Moisture Festival documentary, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. Oh man, I'll send you a copy. I would love that. That would yeah, be amazing. Because, yeah, otherwise there is no place for you to see it. So um, I'll send it. But Louis, did I you? Get... Film I didn't get to see it. I had a, a gig the night you were showing it at the festival this year. All right, I'll send you both a copy of yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, or we, Matt and I can go on a road trip to a festival sometime. Yeah, if you tell us, we will go. You tell us what <laughs> festival is, and we'll go and, like, red carpet it. <laughs> All right. Well, come down to Austin. Come get into Esther's Follies for a night. You know, they bring in performers. Yeah. You know, we'll do it. Stuff. Oh, yeah. Stuff going on. And there's comedy clubs. You know, this is Austin has become a huge comedy city. Yeah, huge hub. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Anyway, thanks you guys so much. I mean, it's so good to hear that, you know, people have watched those videos over the years and, you know, gotten something out of it and it like, you know, helped their careers because I'm cognizant, I'm cognizant of that as I go along too, that, yeah. that I am putting out this stuff that I want to make good enough for, you know, people to study, you know? Yeah. And, and so thank you guys. I really enjoyed being on it. You yeah. Know? I was, you know, you scared the crap out of me by asking me to come on, but <laughs> you made it really easy for me. You so stood on the stage and talked about your, your, in front of a live audience. I can't imagine this would be harder than that. That was hard too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Al, well, thank you so much, man. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having thank me. You. We want to thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louis and i's shows you can do so by visiting louis site which is louis fox with two x's dot com and matt baker's site comedy stunt show dot com spelt the way you would expect it to be spelled yes and we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.